Hey, welcome to the podcast of The Kelly Cotrera Show. It's Friday, January 29th, GameStop. It's sort of like Zoom was before the pandemic. We didn't know what that was. And then all of a sudden, everybody couldn't stop talking about Zoom. This week, everybody was talking about GameStop. And this may have been the first time you ever heard about GameStop. If you're having trouble kind of deciphering what's going on as far as that story is concerned, don't worry. We'll be joined by Andrew Willis, who's a reporter with the Globe and Mail, and it will all make sense to you by the end of the conversation. But first, let's start off with Dr. Lawrence Lowe, the Chief Public Medical Officer of Health in Peel. Thanks for having me back. Let's start off with the one in four people that are positive for COVID-19 in in Peel uh, admitted, yeah, I went to work with symptoms. What are you hoping for, um, you know, what are you hoping will occur as a result of actually this information actually being brought to light? So this uh, actually is a study that we did, and it really shows the intrinsic value of local public health and the meticulous case management and contact tracing we've been done. So we went back through 8,000 cases in our region since August, uh, and we identified anyone who had reported going to work on a date after their symptom onset. And we found that almost 2,000 of them had done so. And I think the reason why we're doing this is we're highlighting that for a lot of our residents, essential work uh, is something that continues even with the provincial shutdown. These are the people that go to warehouses, go to food processing plants, go to manufacturing plants to make the stuff that we all need to be able to stay home and be safe. And the reality is that with the absence of paid sick days, with the absence of worker protections for temporary and contract workers, many of these people are choosing to show up even when they have really mild symptoms and thus potentially contributing to spread. And the spread, obviously, we need to stop right away. I mean, Dr. Brown said yesterday in the modeling that, you know, they're very concerned about the we need to keep this COVID, the dominant COVID strain that we've been dealing with uh, recently. We need to keep that at a low reproduction rate. The reason why we need to do that is because we don't want the I think it was a study out of uh, Denmark that found, you know, if we keep that low, then the. New UK variant or other variants will have a harder time getting their grip and becoming the dominant strain. So obviously, this is super important that we um, start looking at sick days in the province. Uh, You are now recommending we go even farther. You would like restriction of non-essential items bought online. What's your rationale there? Well, so the reality is this is all driven by data. And I think, uh, if anything, it's uh, it's just a start of a conversation to highlight to people that, you know, while we're all staying home, working from behind Microsoft Teams or Zoom or whatever the case might be, those packages that show up on your porch, those, uh, you know, items that you ordered online, uh, ultimately someone processed it, someone distributed it, and someone put it there on your, on your, on your um, you know, on your house front door, literally. Um, Those are people, and those to the extent that we've had an essential worker challenge uh, with people who, again, these are people who aren't able to mail it in. They're the ones that are in there, in these plants, uh, working. And even with precautions, precautions aren't a fail-safe, right? We know uh, that people are going in sick. We know that if volumes are crazy, uh, you know, precautions might slip. And the reality is, is, uh, you know, I'm just, I think it's it's a start of conversation to have people start to think, well, do you really need to be ordering everything you need to? It's not for everything. It's just while we have these high rates of transmission, just over the next few weeks, can we help our essential workers out a bit? Okay, it's the start of a conversation, but isn't it also a recommendation? 
well, to the province? So, so well, it's a, it's a, it's a recommendation, I think, for them in general. I think, and certainly our provincial counterparts have an, an incredible challenge in terms of trying to balance all these other pieces. I'm talking about sort of certainly a start for a conversation with individuals to have them sort of look and examine their their habits right now because this is something we can all do now. Uh, but certainly, I think the you know the province could also review uh, some of these uh, workplaces that are deemed essential are actually defined in a really broad manner as well, and that could also be revisited too. Okay, give us an example of where the province could start. You know, you mentioned that you know they're very broad. Uh, what is deemed essential? Can you give us some, a business that's confusing in your mind? Well, yeah, I mean, it's it in, without naming specific businesses that have been impacted by outbreaks. I think it's just you look at the definitions themselves of what's essential, uh, and even within the essential businesses, you've got things that say supply chain, part of the supply chain. Um, and then there's certain businesses that, you know, they'll be like, oh, I'm part of a supply chain of some variety, um, so therefore I can still stay open. And what we're seeing is it's some of those places that are still staying open, uh, which when you actually look at what they're making, you're just kind of like, uh, you know, this is like really highly processed, really not necessary, probably not necessarily sustained life or at least something that's essential, uh, you know, in the in the ordinary meaning of the word um, that uh, maybe could be revisited. So I think the definitions are really broad. It allows a lot of companies to continue operating under that umbrella. Okay, but Dr. Lowe, you have to know that people are listening right now and uh, are, you know, very frightened by what you're proposing uh, because these businesses that are not essential to the people that work at them, they are essential. They put food on their table. Uh, You also are um, looking at a possibility of restricting hours of operations in every type of manufacturing plant or just the ones that are deemed non-essential? I think it's important for me to actually clarify here. When I'm talking about these, I'm not talking about a single recommendation alone. I think if you look at the press release that we've issued, there's a suite of recommendations. And so certainly anyone who is impacted uh, by a closure, anyone who is impacted by a restriction, those staff should be supported. They should get all the financial support that they need. They should get uh, you know, what they need to make sure that they're doing the right thing and helping to stop spread. So I want to make that very clear, okay. first and foremost. I'm not trying but to make you look like a bad guy, but I'm, I'm trying to kind of get into the minds of people that are listening so that you can, you know, explain yourself and, and that, you know, the message doesn't get mixed up. Um, you also are recommending that maybe um, businesses look at limiting staff and facilities. Can you tell us what you're hoping that would look like? Yeah. So, again, part of the challenge is that in many of these places, and going back to the operating hours as well, you're seeing uh, close contacts in essential workplace. Then we have to remember that for most of us who have been impacted by the provincial shutdown, uh, you know, we're at home. We're not necessarily seeing things. But for the essential workers that work in the region of Peel, absent sick days, um, you know, and absent protections, they are still going in. They are still dealing with all the volumes of shipments, all those other pieces, et cetera. Um, and it's just a matter of saying, well, you know, if you're not going to, do we need to be firing at 110 uh, percent right now at this point in time with more and more people in potential close contact where precautions may slip or where even with precautions there may be transmission? I think it's really about asking those kind of questions. Dr. Lowe, I want to thank you for sparing some time with us today. It's it's a pleasure having you on as always. Just, to, you know, it, it's it's important to clarify uh, some of the what we read in the headlines and get to the bottom of exactly what you're proposing. So thanks for joining us. Who knew GameStop even existed, 
before Monday. You know, it was sort of like Zoom before the pandemic. Uh, but now everybody's talking about GameStop uh, and the crazy uh, meteoric rise of these shares that are basically worth almost nothing because it's a bricks and mortar store that rents physical video games to people. I mean, arguably, that doesn't have a lot of sustainability moving forward. Andrew Willis has written some great um, opinion pieces in the Globe and Mail. He's their business columnist over the past few days, and I think they really uh, simplify and punctuate sort of what's going on and who could be the big losers and how... um, how wrong redditors might have this uh, situation as uh, a chance for you know gaining wealth. Let's let's bring Andrew onto the show. Andrew, I'm glad that you're joining us onto the program because you know yesterday it was it was even hard for me to wrap my head around exactly what a, a short is um, and a short squeeze. People are calling this a David and, and Goliath uh, story. Is it? It is very much Kelly, and it, and it speaks to a lot of the. The undercurrents that are in both business and politics now where, you know, there's anger um, at elites and a lot of populist forces at work. And and just to get to the end of the story quickly, David did meet Goliath here, too. Um, and, and, Kelly, you started off in exactly the right place. GameStop is it was a very, very downtrodden. It was a struggling company up until uh, two weeks ago. The reason for that is pretty simple. As you said, they operate retail stores. They're selling video games in malls, and and that's a bad business plan at any time. It's a terrible business plan in a pandemic. So what happened at GameStop is a couple of really big, really high-profile, really socially media-active U.S. hedge funds. One of them is named Melvin Capital. The other one is uh, called Citron Research. They were betting against uh, GameStop. And, And Kelly, they were really, really out there with their negative views. They basically said GameStop's going to go broke, and they did bets in the market that were all predicated on the fact that the stock price would go down. <clears throat> Excuse me. And what happened was a lot of individual investors were getting together on forums like Reddit. They took the opposite view. They said, you know what? We like GameStop. We're going to buy the stock. <clears throat> Excuse me again. And uh, when you do that, when you get a lot of buying interest at once, all of a sudden, the hedge funds started losing money. And not little bits of money, Kelly. They were losing billions of dollars every day. Because as GameStop kept rising, they had to go into the market and buy shares themselves. That put more pressure on the stock. The stock just kept going up and up. And GameStop went from you know a couple of bucks to over $300 in the space of three weeks. And when you are betting against these companies, your losses are all unlimited, almost unlimited. You can keep losing money as long as the stock's going up. So companies like Citron and uh, Melvin, they lost billions of dollars. They've now closed their positions. And, and what's fascinating to me is these individual investors who kind of won the day, they've defeated these hedge funds, they've forced them out of the markets. What do they do now? Do they have the good sense to sell and take their profits? Because long-term GameStop is, is not a great company. It's, it's, it's really going to struggle against companies like Amazon. But, but a lot of these retail investors are so caught up in what they've done they want to get make even more money, and, and the trading activity has been absolutely crazy. And, and what we saw yesterday, was, which I was writing about the Golden Mail, was that a lot of the platforms that allow you to trade GameStop and these other stocks, they're now restricting the amount of trading you can do because of the potential losses and, and, and the volatility in the stock. So it's been a really fun, and I think you set it up really well, it's been a really fun David and Goliath fight. 
I'm fascinated by where it goes from here. Yeah, but it's interesting because you say it's a David and Goliath fight, but David was on the right side, you know, in in that Bible story, right? There's still question on if, you know, these Redditors are on the right side of things, because you could argue that that's, you know, very similar to, and you mentioned this, the silver market 40 years ago. Yeah. Um, that that's st- st- possibly stock manipulation, and, and I and that's illegal. And I think there are people looking into this now because it's done on social media, and there's so many bit players. Might be hard to lay charges, but still illegal, right? Can you get into that? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, a lot of this trading is abusive. You know, you're 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 creating what they call in the market short squeezes, and and you're coordinating a number of of different investors to to try and artificially boost the the stock price short term. And that sort of abusive trading, as you say, Kelly, it is very illegal. What what you have to prove, though, if you're going to try, if the regulators get involved in this, and I think they're they're certainly going to take a look, um, what you have to prove is that there's coordinated trading by a lot of these different uh, Reddit Mm -hmm. investors. And and what I think you're going to find is it's actually quite random that that the, um, that the, uh, Trading was was it was a lot of individuals organizing online, but they weren't uh, in a coordinated um, effort against us. They just all wanted to achieve the same thing. And and what's so, the difference? Well, that's that's the that's the thing. It, it's you'd, it's to prove a case in court, you'd have to show that there was a conspiracy right. here. Whereas if it's just a lot of people online agreeing that yeah, we want to beat up on the hedge funds and we want to drive the stock one way, that's you know it's. The, it's a bit bit abusive, but it's, it's not against regulation. So that's what's going to be fascinating here is, is where the regulators eventually come down. And, and what I predict, Kelly, looking ahead, is that the, the folks who are on Reddit, the individual investors who spend a lot of time online and, frankly, don't have a lot of else to do in the pandemic, they're going to take runs at other stocks. Like they've, they've seen their – they've got a taste mm-hmm. of power on, on this GameStop story. Um, they've also pushed up and down stocks like BlackBerry in Canada – um, they've gone after the silver market. So I, I think unless there is, I don't know how you change the rules to stop this kind of activity. And I think we're going to see a lot of this really volatile, somewhat abusive um, trading at, at, on other stocks going forward. It's, it is a product of our times. There, there is a lot of anger amongst individual investors. I get that. And now they've got a way to find, um, find friends, find common causes online. And and they know they can move stocks around. It's it's, it's a it's a more you know, there's a, more volatile market today. Yep. There's a question about you know legality and proving you know what they did in court was illegal in stock manipulation. But it's interesting because this is a group of people that um, are there in your in your article. They talk about you know how. Um, they think that banks and fund managers somehow are suppressing information and maybe media might be suppressing information. That's a message that we heard a lot uh, during the insurrection, like there's this conscious effort to suppress information. And yet these people are the same people that I think some of them are launching a class action lawsuit against Robinhood, which is an app that allowed them to make free trades. So they still could have traded. They just would have had to do it the old fashioned way and pay somebody a commission. It's it's sort of like they'll use the law when it's convenient, but when it's not, eh. Yeah, well, I think they, I think this idea that, that there is somehow a conspiracy against the little guy that's that's deep rooted right now, and frankly, really dangerous. Mm-hmm. And just to be really clear, mm-hmm. there is no suppression of information by media and by by you know this is all QAnon stuff leaking into the capital mm-hmm. markets. This is this idea. Yeah, that there, I got to admit, I'm too lazy to be doing no. that. <laughs> 
and, and I'm too I foolish. just I don't work. I, yeah, I work. I work hard, but I you know I'm not working that hard. There's no agenda. And believe me, nothing ha- makes me happier than getting information that nobody knows out there. They call it scoops, and it yeah. drives media. And it's the same for the analysts <laughs> and, the, and the hedge funds. They, they are all looking for an edge, but they, the only way they get paid is to tell people that with the exclusive stuff they've learned. So information does get into the market. So, but but you're quite right. I mean, a lot of these individuals who are you know we're angry at the system, but we want the system on our side when we need it to you know to trade for free or to exchange information. Yeah, yeah no, there's there is a, a, a strong dose of hypocrisy in, in some of these some of these arguments. Having said that, I mean, Robinhood, this trading platform, and a lot of these trading platforms where they're discount brokerages, um, their whole appeal is that they are going to allow you to trade no matter what. And, and that, um, that branding, that, that idea that, that we're going to d- democratize the financial markets and allow you to trade everywhere, that's taken a beating in the last 48 hours as Robinhood has restricted the ability to trade. And a lot of other discount brokers have also done this. They've restricted your ability to trade. Um, why is that? Because they don't want. Why do they do that? So what what happens in these really volatile situations, and this can be somewhat tragic, Kelly, is that uh, individuals will borrow money in order to uh, trade stocks. They're, they're not trading with their own capital. They're trading with capital they borrowed from platforms like Robinhood. It's called margin investing. And when your investment goes the wrong way and you lose that money, it's not that you've just lost your own capital. You've lost the the house's money too. Uh, we had a try. I call this tragic because we had an individual who recently was was documented as he lost seven hundred thousand dollars trading on Robinhood, and he took his own life. Um, wow! So there are yeah, there are real social causes, the real social issues that been involved around some of this trading. It gets a bit, it gets a bit addictive. So I'm, I think Robinhood is restricted. I understand Robinhood is restricting trading because they're worried that people are trading with capital that's not theirs. They're trading with house money, and that the losses. Could, could end up haunting Robinhood. So Robinhood's got to make sure that anybody who is um, trading GameStop has the money to pay for their losses. And that's why they're slowing things down. That's why they're restricting trading. They're, they're worried about significant losses due to the, the ups and downs of these stocks. Uh, and, and, and they're Did taking steps to ensure that, that the trading's rational. Andrew, I want to ask you just a couple of things before I let you go here. First of all, um, Jordan Belfort, who is the wolf of Wall Street, said it's truly a modified pump and dump because at the end of the day, it will most certainly go back down because it's not trading it on any rational fundamental value. And he worried that a lot of people that were inexperienced weren't going to make any money here. We're actually going to lose their shirts and things that you're talking about here would come to uh, fruition. So. Um, your first piece that caught our attention was written two days ago, and it's basically an open, it's a letter, it's an open letter, um, to dear Quacker Dick. (laughs) Did that person exist uh, as a Redditor, or are you just kind of mashing up a bunch? Oh, no, no. Um, um, Quacker Dick, which is an unfortunate nickname, um, really does exist. He's, he or she is posting regularly on, on Reddit. Um, and the reason that I, I, I focused on that one individual as kind of a symbol is uh, Quacker Dick said his, his or her entire savings was invested in BlackBerry, which at the time had gone up threefold in the space of three weeks. And, and um, um, this investor has said he bought the stock at $18 U.S. And, and, and everybody else should be jumping in, too. And I, my open letter was basically a warning, like, look, these stocks aren't trading on fundamentals. It's going to go up. And it's going to go down quickly. And, and, and Jordan, the Wolf of Wall Street, who you just referenced, when individuals like that who are 
huge takers of risk. When they're warning about losses, I, I think people should take that really seriously. So, um, yeah, and, and, and look, the, the, the situation I wrote about with BlackBerry, where the stock had gone up a, a great deal, BlackBerry dropped 40% yesterday on no news at all, just because mm-hmm. a lot of these individual investors were moving on to something else. And, and I worry that people who are actually not investing their fund money, but, but rather, Kelly, they're investing their savings. They are going to – this is money they cannot afford to lose. And these stocks are going to go up and down 40% in a day. You can, you can lose a huge amount of money very, very quickly. And, and especially if, 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 you're, you know, if you're not really on top of the market all the time. I, yeah, I'm really concerned about the, about the personal cost and about the, the, um, the individuals who are getting in here without a clear idea of, of what kind of factors they're, they're playing with, what, what's driving the stocks underneath these, these yeah, they just know they want to take a risk on 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 the futures yeah. of frozen orange juice concentrates. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, that was a, that was the play on on trading places back with the Eddie Murphy movie. I think we all liked back in the eighties. Yeah, the, the, these things are moving so fast um, um, that that even sophisticated traders could get hurt very badly. That's what happened with hedge funds, and and I worry that that people who don't have a ton of information are kind of doing this on a lark, they're going to lose real money and, mm-hmm. and that would be tragic. So that's, that's the sort of stuff, Kelly, I think going forward that, that you and I in the media and that everybody's has to keep an eye on is that, yeah, this is fun and it's, it's, it's entertaining to read about it. But if you're betting your savings on these stocks that are going up and down 40% a day, you really want to be careful. It's, it's, it's a, there's an mm-hmm. enormous risk of, of personal loss. Uh, and that's, I think something individuals want to guard against. I think what I'm going to do this weekend is grab a bag of Tootsie Rolls and watch Trading Places. I've never seen it. It's a it's a fun feel good movie. Andy Aykroyd is wonderful. Enjoy it. It'll treat and it'll teach a whole lot about what's going on in the market right now, Kelly. Thanks for tuning into the podcast. Have yourself a very safe and happy day. We'll talk to you again soon.